you, Sandy. How's everyone going? Isn't God's presence amazing? Hope you're loving that. And um, I really love what I think God is wanting to do this morning and through this next period over Lent. Um, Lent really is a time for us to focus on Jesus, what He has done for us. It's not about fasting so that you can get something, but it's actually fasting so that you can get closer to God. And so, uh, if you've never fasted before, like what Sandy was uh, talking about, please come talk to us. Also, uh, very excited uh, that as Easter comes around, one of the things that we love to do is to have some baptisms on Easter Sunday as Jesus was resurrected. Um, we also want to uh, talk about the life that we can have, and we want to hear testimony. So if um, you are considering baptism, even if you want to know more about baptism, come have a chat with myself or uh, Pastor Beck, who is in with the kids this morning, um, and that is going to be amazing. But we start a brand new series today, and it's called In Christ. And uh, we're going to look over the next few weeks at this chunk of passage found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. I'm going to read it to us. It is a pretty hefty passage, and so we're going to take time to break it down over the next few weeks. But it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Who's going, wow, that was great. You know, if you didn't notice, I think um, uh, there are 11 occasions where Paul writes in Christ in this one little passage. This is about being in Christ, and that's what we're going to be unpacking. So let's just pray and commit this time to God. Dear Jesus, we just want to pray uh, that you illuminate your word to us. You bring truth, uh, especially to the areas of darkness in each and every one of our lives, that you're the one that brings freedom, you're the one that brings hope, you're the one that brings joy into our inner being, and so we ask that you speak to us this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. I heard a very uh, feminine amen in that one. I don't know why. Can we just try to say it again? Amen. 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 Nothing wrong with the feminine, but I just felt like somehow people were like, Amen. That's wonderful. It is wonderful. How many people have done a, a personality quiz before? How many people love personality quizzes? How many people hate them? 
<laughs> Personality quizzes can be quite divisive. Um, some people love them, some people hate them, some people think, why are you trying to shoebox me into this category, etc. I kind of love them. I, I think that they are really interesting, and um, I've got a bit of a history with personality quizzes or giftings quizzes or, uh, or, or talents or, or, or strengths finders and all that kind of stuff. I remember when I was 13 years old, I was um, serving on a kids team in my church in Singapore, and there was a team building kind of a day, and our uh, uh, kids coordinator uh, got us to do a personality quiz. It was the first time I've ever done a personality quiz at 13 years of age, and it was the one that, I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's the one that has sanguine, melancholy, phlegmatic, and choleric, um, uh, which when you know the background behind it, it's a bit weird. Those words come from bodily fluids, um, and um, yes, apparently the more body fluid you have of one kind, the more personal, yeah, it was proved wrong, but uh, anyway, um, there is a certain sense that uh, these were helpful categories to, to help us understand ourselves. I was 13 years old, uh, I thought that I wanted to be too cool for school, that was the personality type that I wanted to be, which meant that the best personality type for me out of those four was the one known as the phlegmatic character. The one who was laid back, chill, nothing would ever get to him. That's what I wanted. And I did this quiz, and to my literal shock horror, I got the one that I really thought I would never want to be. I got choleric. See, the choleric person is a person, according to this personality profile, that is a leader, loves to tell people what to do, loves to be bossy, and the opposite of um, the choleric. And at 13 years of age, I was like, I am doomed. I am doomed. Woe be me uh, for having to take on this burden of leadership. You see, at that time, I kind of thought that leadership was all about telling people off and having to deal with all sorts of whinging people. That was my perspective. As a 13-year-old, I probably was one of those whinging people. Uh, for my leaders, but that's what I thought, and, and, and I, I remember while doing this quiz, uh, upon finishing it, I, I kind of looked at my answers, and I wanted to change some of them, because I was like, I can see where I went wrong. <laughs> I was marking myself as more interested in these things than I really was, and I was changing my answers from the choleric to the phlegmatic, and uh, one of the other leaders came up to me and said, what are you doing? And said, well, I don't think the test was quite right, and so I'm changing it to be more accurate to who I am. And she said, that's the sign of a choleric person. <laughs> and it made me laugh. Uh, in that moment, I felt really embarrassed. Uh, but honestly, as much as I don't always think that these quizzes are 100% accurate as to who you are and what you do, uh, but it opened my eyes. It, it helped me to identify something for the first time that maybe leadership wasn't something that I should shun, but maybe it's something that I enjoy, uh, but maybe I needed to learn how to develop in this uh, a personality type. And many of you are laughing because you've seen my leadership and, and you've been here and you're going like, yes, Nate can be flagged, but he's definitely choleric. And, um, and, and so it's a bit funny for you, but that was 13-year-old Nate. It was a long, it was a lifetime ago, and um, it, it set me on a path. To be honest, I don't know if I had received a personality report that matched maybe what I thought I was like, whether I would have pursued leadership. 
I don't know if I would have gone down that pathway. And so there was something about identifying aspects and characteristics in myself that set me on a path to being who I am today. Fast forward about um, 10 years from there, uh, I started to actually be a bit of a student of leadership, reading a lot of leadership books, and I came across something called the Strengths Finder, as some of you might know. And the Strengths Finder puts forward that there are all of these different strengths that people can have. It's not a, a, a Christian uh, book um, per se, but it talks about the different kinds of strengths that people can have, and there were something like 64 different personality types or strength types, and um, it would give you the five top strengths that you have in order that you can take that, you can develop it, and you can become a better leader as to how you are wired. And so I was really excited. I was a young leader at that time. I wanted to really develop in my leadership. I was on staff at my church, and, and I, I, I did this quiz really hopeful that it would show me or identify for me who I am and allow me to go on this trajectory of leadership um, that, that I previously had just been maybe plodding along. I was hoping that it would be an accelerator in my life. And I don't even remember the other four strengths that I got because my top strength, once again, to my dismay, was not what I thought I was going to be. Do you want to know what my top strength is? Yeah. It was a learner, a learner, someone who learns. I mean, my cat has learned when we put our food for him in the morning. My cat has learned how to go to the toilet. If cats can learn, it's not that specialist skill, people. You know, if my son at four years old can learn a whole bunch of different things, what does having a, a, a learning ability mean for me as a leader? It, it shocked me. I was really disappointed. I was a, a young leader. I wanted to have pioneer. I wanted a strategist. I wanted to have commanding charisma. I wanted to have something that sounded a lot more sexy than learner. I was like, thank you, Jesus, that you have made me to be a nerd and someone who is just kind of merely human. But at the same time, after a while, I started to understand that I actually have a learning ability that goes beyond most average people. Uh, I, I read, I can absorb, I can remember things. In fact, God has wired my memory in such a way that I remember facts, I remember details, I remember research, and I can't remember the way home. I literally have got no uh, directional uh, memory. It is shocking. I don't have that. But I think God said, you don't need direction. One day smartphones are going to come out, and so you're going to be okay on that regard. But I need you to learn. I need you to understand. See, there was something about identifying who I am that, again, helped me on my path of becoming who I am today. There's something about identifying who we are as human beings that can sometimes be a bit discouraging and sometimes be very encouraging. But no matter what, the truth of who we are actually enables us to go on a journey and as, allows us to understand who we are trying to be. And our society in today's world, I think, is desperately looking for identification is looking for ways to know who I am, what am I doing here, and what I'm meant to be doing in my life. Maybe you're even here this morning because there's something in you that goes, there must be more to life than this. There must be more to my existence than waking up and going to work and, and eating some food and going to sleep. And you know, you have your kids, they come, they go, there's all of these things, but what is my purpose? 
There is an author who wrote a book called The Boy Crisis, Warren Farrell. He is a researcher, and he used to be a feminist. Uh, he worked in a feminist organization. He would go around America, and he would give talks about feminism and how the society needed a change to give space to women. And he said that, that he did that for quite a while. He was very effective in what he did until he realized that so many mums were coming to him and said, thank you for your work, Dr. Farrell. But can I ask you, what am I meant to do about my boy? Now that women are allowed in the workplace, allowed to positions of leadership, which is fantastic and amazing, but my boy is struggling to find his place in school. So Dr. Farrell started to do a whole bunch of research into issues for boys, and in America he found in particular, and I think that we are not far behind in Australia, that there is a boy crisis. And the boy crisis is centered around this one question, what am I doing with my life? What am I meant to be doing? He calls it a purpose void. And when I was reading this book and I came across this phrase, the purpose void, I think that touches something in all of us. We fill our days with things that either distract us or numb us to the fact that there is a purpose void in our lives, or we try to fill that purpose void with all sorts of different activities and all sorts of different identifications in order to have a sense that I mean something in my limited time on this earth. But according to Dr. Farrell, the purpose void is destroying young men all across America, and he makes this startling uh, uh, statement he states this fact that all the shooters, all the school shooters in America, every single one of them are male. And he links it to the sense that these boys are going through school and not knowing what their future holds, not knowing what life is meant to be, not having role models of what life is meant to be. Many of them come from places where their father is absent and there's no one in the community to show them what life is meant to be like. And these boys grow up with this deficiency inside of them that leads them to terrible uh, acts. And I'm not trying to say this to condone those acts. I'm just trying to say, come on, we need to identify who we are and who we are meant to be. And that's what brings us to this passage in Ephesians chapter 1. This whole idea of being in Christ is a central part of what we as Christians can know about ourselves. It is the greatest identifier of who we are as human people. Each and every one of us, when we are found in Christ, Paul explains that we are given a way of understanding who we are meant to be and how we are meant to live. And the interesting fact is that Paul was writing this letter while he was in prison. He was writing this letter while he was behind bars. He wasn't able to do the things that he probably wanted to do. He was uh, 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 put into a small box. If you think personality tests are jails of their own, Paul was in a literal jail. But yet in that place, he writes these words about who he is and who every single one of us are. And it's something that is rich and is true, and it's something that we need to explain. It's something that we need to understand. And so that's what we are going to do today. And um, 
over the next couple of weeks. And it was a massive passage, right? And what this passage is, is kind of an introduction to the letter that Paul wrote, possibly and uh, probably to the church in Ephesus, as well as the churches around that area. He wanted them to understand something. And what he did is that he wrote what some theologians call this great prayer. In Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, it's a great prayer. And what it is, actually, is a summary that Paul wrote in order for people to understand the big picture of what God is doing so that we can understand our small story that is a part of it. See, N.T. Wright, a theologian, writes about this. Paul's great prayer at the opening of this letter is a celebration of the larger story within which every single Christian story, every story of individual conversion, faith, spiritual life, obedience, and hope is set. Only by understanding and celebrating the larger story can we hope to understand everything that is going on in our smaller stories. And so observe God at work and in, in and through our own lives. And when I look at that, I think that our culture is going to have a problem with this. Because we live in, in Australia that is considered or is known to be what we can call individualistic. In fact, according to uh, uh, leading researchers, Australia is the second most individualistic nation in the world just behind America. And what this means is that everything that we view comes through this lens of what does it mean for me? I am the center of my perspective and everything comes back round to me. Individualism impacts the choices we make. It impacts the way that we identify ourselves. We need to fight in order to stand out because if we don't stand out, we have no place in society. And so we have all sorts of jobs that people don't want to do because if I'm affiliated with that kind of a job, what does it mean for me? And so we have to pay exorbitant amounts of money for jobs that don't require much skill, don't require much development, not because um, they're not worthy jobs, but because uh, no one wants to do them. That's how I was Australians. I'm not trying to make a statement about different jobs and what is worth. What I'm trying to say is that this is not necessarily normal, nor is it the way that it should be. If anything, from my perspective and my observation, individualism can get toxic. It gets to a point where we become the center of the universe and God is the one that is revolving around us. We have the larger story, and God's is a small story that fits into my orbit. How proud is that? But yet, I, when I think about the times that I've been angry with God, I mean, God, get with the program. I'm suffering here, and you're doing nothing. You are a slacker. You've got some issues, God. You're not doing your job, and I'm doing mine. So come on and get into my orbit and start doing the things that you are meant to be doing. Individualism causes us to lose sight of what anchors us as human beings, what gives us a sense of where do I fit and where am I supposed to go. And Paul, in this passage, shows us that God is the one with the larger story. I am the one that plays a tiny role, a tiny but significant, a tiny but valuable role, but a tiny role nonetheless. And the more I understand that role, the more I understand my part, the more I'm going to have confidence in who I am and what I am doing. St. Augustine, one of the church fathers, wrote this phrase, Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. 
So in a country of rampant individualism, we also have rampant isolation, rampant depression, rampant anxiety. All of those are sky high because we have no anchor in life. We strive to get things that we think are going to solve and soothe what is going on inside of us, but we've lost sight of the anchors for our life. And so we need to come back to the greatest anchor that any of us could ever have. In fact, the only anchor any of us will ever need, and that is found in Christ. And so introduction done. Let's dive in. Let's get some work done. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Before we go any further, we need to, describe, we need to discuss the phrase, in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Paul writes it 11 times in this one passage. What does it mean for us to be found in Christ? I mean, does anyone here actually tangibly know where Christ is and how do I fit in to Christ? You know, that is the very logical picture that sometimes we have when we're found in Christ. And what we need to understand is that there are two main key things that we need to understand about being in Christ. The first is this, that every time Paul uses the phrase in Christ, he's talking about Jesus' complete work and not about anything to do with us. He isn't talking about a jigsaw puzzle where we kind of fit neatly into Jesus and what Jesus is doing. No, no, no. He's talking about the fact that Christ has done everything that we could possibly ever need. In fact, when you look at this passage, one of the words that is going to be repeated uh, in different ways that many of us are probably not going to like is the word that He chose us. He chose us. Later on, he uses the word predestined us. And we struggle with that because right now in my individualistic mind, I'm going like, so if you're choosing and I'm not the one choosing, then have I really chosen you? Do I really have faith in you? Or are you just commanding me? Am I just a robot? And we hate robots. We make movies about how robots are broken. And so we struggle with that. But the whole point of it is not to say that he's chosen and we have no part to play, but that he's chosen because his choosing is the action that matters. His action is what truly brings us into him. It is not to do with any merit that I have. It is not to do with any works that I have put forward. It is not to do with anything that I could bring. Some of us really like the Christmas carol, The Drummer Boy. I don't. But the heart of The Drummer Boy is that this boy comes before Jesus and he says, I need to give you something. And so I'm going to give you the best thing a tiny little baby will need. A freaking drum solo. And we come to Jesus with that kind of mentality. We say, you need my drum solo, Jesus. I remember when I was a youth leader, youth pastor, and on a band, there was this teenage boy who learned the drums, and every single music practice without fail that he was a part of, he would ask, where's my drum solo? Where do I play my drum solo? We say, okay, how can we jazz up this song? Drum solo! He wasn't even that good a drummer. We so need to contribute. We so need to fit. 
And sometimes it's almost juvenile what our efforts are. I love my son dearly. And one of the things he loves doing is say, come dad, come and see what I've done. I come into the playroom where he's been playing for five minutes and I go, what? Because what I see is messed. And he goes, look. And he's put some cars in a line. And he's proud of himself. And I'm proud of him. At the same time, son, you're going to need to do a lot more than that to impress me. It's not to say that it's not worth it. He's four, and that's completely fine. But when we're talking about our salvation, when we're talking about our worth to God, we need to open our eyes to understand that we have got nothing to give God that is of worth. Our worship, our time, our effort, do we really think that earns us any more of God's respect? No, no, He's chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He already foreknew you and He already chose you. Sometimes we struggle with that. We're not going to go on to that whole massive debate. The whole point of this is for, I think Paul's just trying to tell the church in Ephesus, God knew you and He chose you. And let me put it this way for us today. If you're in this building hearing these words, I believe that God has chosen you. I believe that God is drawing you. He's saying you need to hear this message. You need to know what I've done for you. You need to know who you are in me. That is the understanding of the choosing. That is what it means to be in Christ. In Christ, there is no striving. In Christ, there is no working to receive acceptance. In Christ, we find peace because we have found our rest. God is the one who has worked. It is on the cross that Jesus said, it is finished. He's completed his work. And his completed work is sufficient for me. If it's not sufficient for you, if you struggle with that notion, why are you struggling? Why is it so hard for us to accept that it's God who chooses us and draws us close to him? Why is that not enough for you? I mean, if you watch any Hallmark movie, you wish for the guy to choose the girl or the girl to choose the guy, flaws and all, and pursue the person the whole way. Honest truth is, no human being should be doing that. It's Christ who has done that with us. Blessed be to God. And Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The other aspect of being in Christ that you need to know is that in the Jewish understanding of kingship, the king represents the people. And what happens to the king happens to the people. And this, again, quoting from N.T. Wright, he writes this, The center of what Paul means is that, as in some Jewish thought, the king represents his people so that what happens to him happens to them, and what is true of him is true of them. And that's why when we read the Old Testament, we're not reading about lots of people in Israel, we're reading about the kings. Because the king represents the nation. If the king goes well, the nation goes well. If the king goes badly, the nation goes badly. That is the whole point. 
When the king is repenting, the nation turns around. Is it true that the whole nation turns around? You will see discrepancies in the whole idea that the nation has repented. When you read those stories in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, the whole point is that in the Jewish mindset, the king is the one who represents everyone. And so when we say that we are found in Christ, we are saying, I am following his kingship. God is my representative. Jesus is my representative. When I stand before God, I'm not standing before God by myself. He is my representative. And because Jesus has already paid the price on the cross, I am not held liable for my sin and for my brokenness before God. Rather, God sees what has happened on the cross. And that's why it's said that I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. What does it mean? That Jesus' blood covers me. God sees that I have been covered. I have been washed. Why is it that I can receive every spiritual blessing? It's because God wishes to bless His own Son, and I'm represented by Him. Isn't that good, guys? Isn't this amazing that we can come into our lives every single day? I don't have to identify what I need to do in order to get something. What I need to do is to identify that Christ is my King and I have received every spiritual blessing that God could ever give to me. And this is not a one-off passage. We can see this again in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, which says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His glory and excellence. The Bible is clear that we can have everything in Christ. That's why Jesus teaches us in John 15 that He is the vine and we are the branches. If we are attached to Him, we receive everything that He has to give to us. And again, we need to consider what we think this means. Because I think that sometimes when we think that we have received every blessing, we think that tonight, God, I'm going to test this and you're going to give me the lottery numbers for next week. We think that we go to work tomorrow and our boss is going to love everything that we've ever done, no criticism. Uh, You're promoted. In fact, you're promoted to my job. Take my job. You're so much better. We kind of think that blessings are when things go nicely and comfortably. And when we think of every blessing, we kind of think that everything's going to work out right. That's not what this means. In fact, this is what Paul says, that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Suddenly, it looks like there's a little bit of small script at the bottom that says, you want this blessing? You're going to have to be holy and blameless. Does it look like that to you? Just to me, I mean, I'm your pastor, so if it came to my mind, it probably came to yours, right? We don't don't necessarily like to say, blessing, holy and blameless. Blessing, get your life right. Blessing, make sure you stop sinning. No, 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 we like blessing, comfort, security, wonderful things, going on holidays and, and not having any cares and worries. But what God is saying is that the blessing brings us into line with who we are meant to be. The idea of this is that God is saying, I think I wrote a little, let me find myself. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing because of what Christ has done so that we will be holy and blameless. That's what these few verses are actually saying to us. 
We, we, we cannot divorce the fact that God has saved you and loved you for who you are and where you are at, but it's because He's also wanting to restore you to the original plan of how He's created you to be, which is with Him, holy and blameless. We need to start to understand that the fullness of the Bible is not just found in the New Testament, but is also found in the Old Testament. Right at the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in utopia, in this wonderful place called Eden, what did they do? They chose their own way instead of His, falling into sin and bringing sin and destruction into our world. And so what does salvation mean? Salvation means that we come back in alignment with how God has created us to be. Eden is not accessible to us according to our own ways, but according to what God's ways are. And when we come in Christ as our representative, He's the one that is making the laws that we exist under. You know, we are represented in this country by our government. And we get all the benefits and responsibilities of being under this government. And if we break those laws, we no longer have the rights and the responsibilities. We are actually cast out. The blessings of God is that He teaches us and gives us the grace to learn to be who we are meant to be. When we talk about identifying and we talk about identity, the best identity test each and every one of us can do is to say, what does God say my life is meant to be like? And it's not individualistic. It's not saying you need to be an astronaut and plant God's flag on the moon, and then you're supposed to be a rocket scientist, and I don't know why it's all about rockets. That's what came to mind. But it's not about those far-fetched things, but it's about loving God, loving your neighbor, it's, it's about us actually learning our place. Do I even dare to say this? Some of us are not living in the blessing of God because you're still anxious about whether God loves you or not. And I don't mean this in a condemning way, but that is actually sin. Because you are still saying, I need to prove to God who I am by myself. I need to prove to God who I am. And God's saying, no. That need to prove yourself is what's causing you to trip up. That need to prove yourself is what's causing you anxiety and worry and fear. And that insecurity is making you do stupid things. I've been insecure for a lot of my life, and it makes me say and do the most stupid things in the world. I remember as a teenager when I was probably at my most insecure, what I would do is I would literally pick debates with people because even back then I already knew that I was a learner and I was kind of smart. And so what I do, I pick fights, verbal fights with people who are older than me. Why? Because it would scratch this insecure itch in my soul. It was disgusting. It was stupid. But it scratched that itch. Your worth and your value comes because Christ is your representative. And in Him, He has done everything that you could possibly need to gain entrance into the best kingdom ever. Over the next few weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about what that kingdom looks like. And then after that, we're going to do a series all about what Christ has done. We're going to go a deep dive into what Christ has done for us to understand the depths of what we are actually talking about when we talk about that Christ has finished it all. 
I'm really excited about that next series, to be honest. I want to start that next week, but I've already committed to this, so we're going to do it this way. But this, uh, this morning, if we can get the band back up. I just want... I, I, I just want to put this reflection question out there. How are you going with your identity? How are you going with your sense of who you are, what you're meant to be doing and where you're going? When you think about that, does that scare you? Does it create turmoil? Does it create this flux? If that's the case, it possibly means that you haven't been anchored with Christ yet. It probably means that you're acting out of a place of trying to prove yourself, find yourself. Our world is really good at telling us that we need to identify this way, identify that way, identify this way. I identify with this group, I identify with this other group. It means this about me. Christ says that there's one identification we need in Christ. If I was to have an identification card of the kingdom, it would just say, in Christ. It wouldn't list my achievements, it wouldn't list my faults, it wouldn't list anything else other than understanding that I am found in Christ. And as long as I'm found in Christ, everything else doesn't matter. So for Paul, it wasn't that he was a missionary bringing the truth to all of these nations where there were unbelievers. That's not his identity. He can be in prison and still be Paul, a man loved by God, an apostle of Christ. And he writes this letter telling us that I've received every spiritual blessing while he was rotting away in a prison cell. I need that kind of confidence, church. I need to know that when I'm going through the darkest, toughest times, my situation doesn't define who I am. What defines who I am is my representative before God, and that is Christ, if I'm in Christ. So can we stand this morning? I know Sandy's already of a sense that God is wanting to bring people into His fold. He's, he, 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 he's wanting to represent you. He's wanting to be your king. And so if you're in this place and there's a sense in you that you're going, I need to recommit myself to the headship, the kingship of Jesus. I need him to be my representative. I need to come under the finished work of the cross. Then can you please say this prayer with me? Every eye closed, every head bowed. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I would like you to just examine your heart. And if this is you then please say this prayer with everything in your heart. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. I thank you for the forgiveness that you have freely poured out on me. Help me to live the life that you've called me to. In your name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer, maybe you said it for the first time. or Maybe you said it after a long time, stepping away from Jesus as your representative. Come talk to myself. Come talk to the team. We've got some resources we'll love to put in your hands. 
But I just love that this is the start of what Christ is wanting to do over the next couple of weeks. I truly believe that God is wanting to cement and bring people into a deeper place with Him. I'm hoping that I'm helping you to understand the depths of God's amazing grace. Over the next few weeks, we're not going to necessarily even cover much of what we need to do, but what Christ has already made available to us. So come along this journey, church. We're going to go deep. We're going to go to a place where, where there is going to be a confidence, I believe. This year, our theme word is unleashed unleashed that each and every one of us and as a church were unleashed into the new things of God and I truly believe that we cannot live unleashed lives if we are bound up by insecurity by a sense of I don't know where I fit you fit in the kingdom of God warts and all because Christ is your representative Awesome. Can I just pray? We're going to close there. Head over to the foyer. We've got some morning tea. And you can sign up to be part of Lent. If you're also wanting to join one of the small groups, that's available as well. If you want to pray for anything, come on forward. We'll love to stand with you and to pray with you. I know that this is a deep word for some, that there's some struggles, uh, uh, and you might want uh, a bit of prayer for that. And that's totally available as well. Just come on forward, and the team will be here with you. Let me just close in prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your amazing work on the cross. It's something we should never get used to saying. It shouldn't be something that we ever forget. We thank you that in you we have every spiritual blessing to live holy and blameless as you have designed us to be. We thank you that as we live in that way, that God, that your blessings are going to be poured out like never before. We're going to sense that confidence rise in us as we know that our anchor is found in you and in you alone. I thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much, church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.